Merry Christmas. You know, uh, look how wonderful our Lord is. We finished the, the chapters 9, 10, and 11, which is a lot about Israel, but really it's about us. It's about who we are. It's about what our God has given to us. Over and over again, Paul is making the statement that our Lord God has given to us everlasting life. And he has given that to us through faith and through faith alone. There's not, a, there's not anything you can add to it. There's nothing you should take away from it. But it is salvation that comes through faith and faith alone. And our Lord God has given this to us, to mankind. Now, he hasn't made anybody come to him. That's a, 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 a choice that you will make in your life, whether you want to give your heart to Christ or not. But here we are in the very core of the Christmas season. And what does Paul, where are we studying the Bible as we do? Where do we find ourselves? We find ourselves that now God, or Paul, is through telling us about all that the Lord God has given to us for eternal life. One of the greatest gifts that anyone can receive at Christmas time would be the gift of salvation. To know that your eternal life is secure in the hands of an almighty God who has given you everlasting life. Now Paul says, enough. Enough. I've told you enough about what God has given to you. Now, from chapter 12 through chapter 16, he is saying, now you are to give back to God. I love this place. I love Scripture. I love the fact that now here we are in the, the season that now tis the season to give. Tis better to give than to receive. Paul says, correct. You have, given, you have been given so much that now I want you to consider what you are to give back unto the Lord. Now, turn with me to the most glorious of places within Scripture, and that is Romans chapter 12. And we will now talk about our conduct. You see, chapters 1 through 11 talk and dealt with our character, who we are in Christ. Now Paul is going to say, this is how you are to act. This is your, not your character, but this is your conduct. You have been given everlasting life. Now you are to give back to the Lord. Look at these marvelous, amazing words in Romans chapter 12. You talk about Merry Christmas I urge you, therefore, brethren, you'll note he is speaking to the believers, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that 
which you may prove is the, no that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect father in heaven we have received so much from you so much has been all that we we have received father from a most gracious and loving god you have asked us to fulfill this this wonderful promise of of, of who now we are in Christ. And now through Paul, you are asking us to give back to you in return. The very essence of what Christmas is, as far as we understand it, yes, it's the celebration of the birth of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We fully are aware of that, Father. But it is the very essence of giving, giving gifts to loved ones, giving of love to one another, the, the, the uniting of a family together so it might sense the love of Christ within a home. Father, may we give back this love as we represent you on this earth. Father, would you open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law? This wonderful section of scripture that we just read in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 where you urge us, you urge us by the mercies of an almighty God to present ourselves a living and holy sacrifice to God. May we give back to him. And Father, would you please do me a favor? Would you move me aside? Would you, Father, not allow me to interfere with this glorious message, this wonderful, wonderful message about the very essence of Christmas? And that is giving ourselves, allowing ourselves to be con transformed, not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we might prove what your will is, Father, that which is good, acceptable, perfect through how we live our lives. Please help us, Father, to understand this most wonderful place in God's word. Now, Father, bless us, please. Bless us so much. We pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. I absolutely adore this place in Scripture. Next week, we will be the week before Christmas, and we will again speak on the Christmas theme of giving. Paul first states here in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we are to give of our souls. We are to give our souls. We are to offer a sacrifice which is acceptable to God. That is our souls. Next week we'll be talking about giving our bodies. Giving who we are in the flesh unto the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever said in the quietness of your heart or, 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 or one point in your, that you, you wish that you felt closer to God? Have you ever ever uttered those type of thoughts that I want to feel more of God in my life. I, I want to feel more close to Him. Well, I believe if you are serious about that suggestion, that what you might have said or uttered before the Lord, I, I want to feel closer to you. I, I want to walk more clo closely with you. I believe that Paul here gives us the key, this, the key to 
to, to victory, the key to growth, the key to finding true happiness with our Lord. And it's not wrapped up in all that God can give you to feel closer to Him, but it is found simply in yours and my giving back to Him. You want to feel close to the Lord, then give back to the Lord. Paul says it wonderfully. He says it best, I think, in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Listen to these marvelous words. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. Paul says it this way. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Verse 24, he says, Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance. And then he says these words, It is the Lord Jesus Christ whom you serve. Whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, rather than for man's patting you on the back. If you'll note, when Paul says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, back to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. I want you to note that he does not focus in on, on what we're to do. There isn't like, do this or do that and you will feel closer to God. No, he doesn't focus in on what more we need to receive from God. From chapter 12 on, Paul is going to teach us on what we are to give back to him. As I wrote down here, tis the season to be giving. Do you know why Paul does not center in on all that you and I are to receive from the Lord? The reason is... Because in these first 11 chapters, Paul has explained that God has already given us more than abundantly, more than we'll ever, ever need. Let me give you a few verses to, to kind of make my point, actually make Paul's point. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Watch now. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. He has blessed us. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 3 and verses 10. Colossians 2, verse 3 and 10. Paul writes that we have, in verse 3, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It is all here before us. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And in verse 10, he adds, In Him, in Christ, you, we, have been made complete. Okay, Ephesians 1.3 says, We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Colossians 2, verses 3 and 10, says we have all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. And in Him, in Christ, you and I have been made complete. 
2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Peter concurs with Paul when he writes that our Lord's divine power has granted to us everything, he says. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. So there really is not more that you and I need. We have everything that we need to function beautifully in this world as believers in Jesus Christ. Now, Paul says, you want to have the fullness of, of, of your joy? You want to have the fullness of feeling close to God? Then now you start to give back to Him what He has so graciously given to you. And that is your spiritual gift. Turn to, please, hold your place here. There's a wonderful story concerning this that Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 22. First book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 22. Let me wait for you to turn there. Hold your place in Romans chapter 12. We'll be right back. Matthew chapter 22. Jesus taught the chief end of man. We learned last week the Westminster Catechism was these words, the chief end of man. In other words, our ultimate purpose on this earth is twofold, if you recall. It is to glorify God and it is to enjoy Him forever. To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Jesus taught that the chief end of man, our ultimate purpose, was this. Basically the same. He said in verse 35 of Matthew chapter 22, a lawyer came to him. One of them, the, the, the religious leaders of that day, one of them was a lawyer. And he asked Jesus a question. Basically what he was doing in verse 35 was testing Jesus Christ. And he asked him, teacher, verse 36, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus, in verse 37, normally he asked a question when anyone asked him a question. Jesus didn't do that. Leads me to believe that this attorney, this lawyer, was legitimate. Leads me to believe that. I don't know for a fact, but Jesus answers him immediately and said, verse 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This, he says, is the great and foremost commandment. But he didn't stop there. He said the second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, Jesus Christ says, depends the whole law and the prophets. In other words, true Christianity, Jesus was saying to this attorney that asked him this question, testing him, is what we give, not what we receive. Therefore, our supreme calling in life is to serve and to worship our God with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, and with all of our minds. And also, he says, we are to love our neighbors as we do our own selves. He asks us to love him 
and love others. That's our motto by, the, motto, by the way, as a church. Loving God and loving people. That's what we stand upon. Simple, but it is the great commandment. We are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our minds. And we are also to love our neighbor as we do ourselves. Loving God and loving people. If you'll note, Paul does not set forward a bunch of rules if you move back with me to Romans chapter 12, what I believe Paul wants you to do is to, to believe him. In other words, to get busy and to serve the Lord your God with your spiritual gift that he has so graciously given to you at your spiritual birth. Someone came to me last week. I was surprised there wasn't more. But a gentleman came to me and asked me the question that I've heard, oh, so many times. He wanted to know, how can he know what is his spiritual gift? Have you ever wondered about what is your spiritual gift? There's a very easy way to find out. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to study books. You don't have to do any of that. If you could do anything you want in this church, if your heart's desire is bursting inside of you to do something here in this church, what would it be? Then start doing it. Do it. Start using that passion that is bubbling up inside of you unto the Lord. And the people that you minister to will sooner or later, more likely sooner, let you know whether that's your spiritual gift or not. They will, be, they will express their opinion, mostly, hopefully, lovingly, but they will express their opinion. Oh gosh, I just saw someone that has impacted my life. I want to, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a rabbit trail, but not much. When I was at Yorba Linda Friends Church, my wife and I attended Yorba Linda Friends Church, and we, we went there primarily because our kids went to school there, and we, we loved that school, our kids did, and we wanted our kids to be around other kids that they were, they were used to being around. So we started attending that church, and I felt a call in my life to teach. When I would listen to the pastor, I would think, oh, I would do it like this, or I would do it like that. And I would, I would look at the, 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 what he was studying, and I would try to figure it out. And so I went up to whoever was in charge, and I said, I would like to teach a Sunday school class. Please, may I teach a Sunday school class? And they said, we have an availability with the Rock of Ages. I don't think they called themselves the Rock of Ages. I don't remember what they called themselves. Robin, do you or Denny remember what they, the older people called themselves? At? Crusaders. There you go. They were called the Crusaders. So I started, started teaching that class. And in a matter of months, it went from about 13, 14, 15 people to we, we had to move into another room. It, it, it became popular. And they were telling me, 
keep teaching. This is good. And that was when, shortly thereafter, they asked me to be the senior pastor of that church. When that took place, I watched people. I was watching people that served. And, and I was watching this gentleman that sits over here by the name of Denny Arnold. And Denny had a way with people like few I've ever been around. People just took a shine to him, but more importantly, he took a shine to people. And we had a person by the name of Ida who did the cooking for our men's group. We started, once I became the senior pastor, we started a men's group there because I, as, as I do here, I believe men are critically important. I believe the ladies are of utmost importance, but, but really the men are the ones that need to be encouraged. Ladies, do what you do. You're great. And so we started a men's group. and We had a breakfast and Ida took care of us. She cooked for our breakfast. And she was going to leave to go with her family, Jenny? Yeah. And we had nobody to cook our breakfast. And now we were getting about, I don't know, 20 guys? I don't even remember. It doesn't matter. And I went to Denny and I, I sat down with him and I said, I said, Dan, I thought you just left the room. <laughs> I thought I heard the door slam and could hear, could hear footsteps running down. Oh, he's going to ask me again. I said, Denny, I said, we need somebody to do breakfasts. And Ida's gone. And I knew it. I knew what he was going to say to me. So I'll go home and pray with my wife about it. But I think I'll do it. And we grew. So we had, we had a, a conference once with all men of our church, just the men of our church. You know how many men came? Over 1,000. Just in one church. 1,000 men. It was, we had it at a hotel in um, Palm Springs, if I remember correctly. And he was doing the cooking for guys that were coming at our breakfasts that grew to over 100-some guys. I mean, he would get up. How many times in the morning did you have to go shop? Two or three times? He'd go shopping once really early and then he would get there early on our, the time we had our studies Friday and he would, he would prepare the breakfasts. And it got, to be, it got to be the place that everybody wanted to be. They would be there early drinking coffee in the kitchen. I don't know if they were in your way or they were helping. <laughs> no, he would say immediately they weren't in his way. And they would just be there and they would mingle and we would have just guys in the in that kitchen area while he was cooking breakfasts. And it was amazing. It was utterly amazing. It was to, to see a man's gift just flourish, flourish right before our eyes. Um, to give, to serve. Let me see if I can remember where I'm at in, in the message. But I want to encourage you. Oh, I know what I was talking about. What is your spiritual gift? get busy. I didn't know that, I don't know if Denny could cook a lick. I had no idea if he could cook. That wasn't even an issue. I wanted a man who wanted to be around men to be there. And he fulfilled that more than anybody I've ever seen fulfill a ministry in any church, anywhere, anytime. And so if you if you want to know what your spiritual gift is, get busy. Do something unto the Lord. I was, like I said to you, I, I wanted to teach. That's what I felt like it was what the Lord was asking me to do, and I did. 
and it grew. It grew to where we went from 150 people to um, a few thousand. God will honor, will honor. In the deepest eternal sense, you and I cannot have more than what God has already given to us. Yet, yet, it is obvious by, by too many Christians that you'll see they don't have the fullness of joy in their walk with Jesus Christ. Why? Why? Well, I believe Paul is teaching us here. It is because the joy and the satisfaction, satisfaction that any of us strive for as believers in Jesus Christ can only be when we surrender back to Him what He has already given to us. It is the season to be given. Merry Christmas. So Paul, back in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, first and foremost, watch, he begins by telling us that neither God Almighty, nor Paul, an apostle, nor can I choose to make you do anything that you don't want to do. So Paul says plainly in verse 1, I command you. No, he doesn't say that at all. Where did I get that? He says, I what? I urge you. I urge you, brethren. The word urge in the Greek is P-R-A-K-A-L-E-O. It means called alongside of in order to help or aid. It isn't a command. It is an urge. Really, it is, I beg of you. I beg of you. God, as you'll know, does not make you do this. Rather, through Paul, God begs, he urges us to serve him. Later, as Paul demonstrates through his writings, for us to get involved, Paul uses words like, I exhort you, I admonish you, I encourage you, I appeal with you, I urge you. I wonder sometimes why God doesn't just make us serve Him, but He doesn't. He doesn't. Listen to this. If you can find Philemon. Philemon is just a it's one chapter book. It's near the end of the New Testament. Paul is speaking to his disciple named Philemon. And Paul says this in Philemon, verse 8 and verse 9. He says, therefore, listen, if you're not there yet, I want to, should I wait till you find it? Philemon, okay, where is it? Let's, I'll help you. If you go to the Revelation, book of Revelation, you go past 1st, 2nd, 3rd Peter, keep going, James, Hebrews, and then right after Hebrews is Philemon. If you're going the other way, it's past 1st, 2nd Timothy, and you'll hit Titus, and then you'll hit Philemon. Just one chapter. Look at verse 8. Paul says, Therefore, though I have enough confidence 
in Christ to order you. In other words, Philemon, I have the confidence in my position in Christ to order you to do what is proper. Yet, he says in verse 9, for love's sake, I rather appeal to you. You see what Paul is doing? Paul says, I can make you do this. What I want you to do, Philemon, is I want you to do it on your own initiative. I want this to come from your heart. Have you ever heard me say to you as a group of people how much I don't want to motivate or, or try to manipulate you into doing something unto the Lord? I've always said if you hear the gospel and you hear that two and two are four and you come to that conclusion, you will believe it and you will act on it. And I want you to come to that understanding of who you are and where you are and how you walk with Christ. And I want that to be your decision because I believe with all of my heart when it is our decision, we will act on it and nobody will be able to move us out of our position of who we are in Christ Jesus. So Paul says, I have, I have the ability, the confidence in Christ to order you. But rather, he says, for the sake of love, I'm going to appeal to you. You see, I cannot make you serve the Lord. I cannot make you give financially unto the Lord. We encourage you to give here unto the Lord so that we might have all the financial, all that we need financially to do whatever it is that God has called us to do so that we could feed the poor, so that we can, I don't know, because I don't make those types of decisions. I'm a part of it. I watch it unfold, but, but we allow some of you to help us make the decision what we're going to do with the finances that God has given us. We shouldn't have to ever stand here. Well, you'll know we don't do it. At least, when's the last time I've ever appealed to you to give? Can you remember? Me neither. I don't do that unless it's in Scripture. We shouldn't have to ask you to give. That should be something that you, you beg. Oh, let me show you. You want, you want to see a wonderful, wonderful situation? Let me, let me get to it. Let me, just, let me just share with you this. I cannot make a person give. Nobody can. The only thing I can promise you is this. I can only promise you what the Bible promises. I cannot, you know, I, I, I hear of, of some people that preach, you know, this wealth and health and all of that. That's not biblical. You hear that in a church, run from it. Nobody can promise you health or wealth or, or anything. If you give such and such, you're not going to get back in return such and such. I know, I hear that on television every once in a while, and that's when I thank God for a remote. Get out of, I get out of there as fast as if I was sitting in the, in the pews, I would, I would get up and leave. But I can promise you by the Word of God, God will bless you. Whether it's back financially, I don't know, but He will bless you. And once you begin to faithfully serve and to give unto the Lord... But I have no right, I have no right before God to make any of you serve or give. That must come from your heart back to God's heart. By the way, if you'll note, I'm going to share with you something very important in a moment about giving. If you'll note, 
In verse 1 of chapter 12, Paul says, I urge you, brethren. In other words, he is talking to the fellow believers in Rome. What he is saying is only the redeemed, only the saved believers can present their bodies as a living and holy spiritual sacrifice which can be accepted to God. Why? Well, only the redeemed, only a believer in Jesus Christ possesses a spiritual life to offer unto God and therefore can come before God with a spiritual offering that is acceptable. First Peter, let me read it to you. He tells us, verse, chapter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen race. He says, you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people of God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of, here we are believers, out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's true salvation. When a person moves from darkness into light, when they see, oh, this is how I am to live as a believer. This is what I am to do. And to do that, I will be blessed by God. Jesus says it this way. It fits, trust me. It won't sound like it at first, but it does. He says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, what will a man or a woman be profited if they gain the whole world and forfeit their soul, what will you give in exchange for your soul? What price do you place on your soul? Is it, is it sellable? I used to listen to, my wife got me to be a doggone political junkie. Man, it's frustrating. It's frustrating. It's more frustrating than following SC. I'll tell you that, Jeff. I, I don't, I don't. I'm not, here to, I'm not here to beat up on SC, but man. And there was a guy named Glenn Beck that I thought he had some character to him. And he looked at, he looked at people that came in that were running for office or were in office, and he says, he said something to the effect that, Will you lose your soul? How do you put it, Kay? Will you lose your soul when you go to Washington? In other words, the standard that you stand on now, that you say you've, you, you uh, what do they do? They, uh, they go out and they try to get people to vote for them. They, they, he says, that what you've been telling people, will you lose your soul when you get to Washington? <laughs> I'm beginning to think they all do. All of them. I, I, it's hard to find someone who will stand on the very essence of what is right and what is wrong anymore. It is nothing. We got a president that now they admit he's lied to us. If I lie to you, you should not allow me in this pulpit. What in the world is he doing leading? Nah, it's very political. Forgive me. Forgive me. I, I get out of that. Let me get out of that. That has nothing to do with this message. What would you give in exchange for your soul? Your soul is the innermost invisible part of you. Your soul is the very essence of who you are. Until a person's soul belongs to the Lord our God, nothing else matters. 
nothing else has any spiritual significance until your soul belongs to the Lord your God. You can have the whole world, Jesus says, but it'll profit you nothing. Now, I wanted to tell you what I want to tell you a couple minutes ago. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, turn there please, it's worth it. 2 Corinthians is to the right. You'll go past, the next book is first, and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Listen to the loving generosity of the churches in Macedonia. And it was, their generosity was made possible and was acceptable by God because of the believers in the churches. We know because of what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Now, brethren, talking to believers, Paul says, We wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, in other words, they were going through difficulties, their abundance of joy and their deep Poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. In other words, it is better to give than it is to receive. Watch verse 3. For I testify, Paul is testifying to us, that according to their ability, the churches in Macedonia, and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Note that. They gave of their own accord. Nobody made them give. Nobody made them give. Nobody should ever make you give. You should give of your own accord. It says in verse 4, they begged us with much urging. In other words, they chose to give they begged us with much urging for the favor of participation for the support of the saints. And this, verse 5, here's the key. Not as we had expected. Now watch. But they first, what did they first do? They first gave themselves to the Lord. That is what made their gift acceptable to the Lord. They first gave themselves to the Lord, and then, Paul wrote, they gave themselves to us by the will of God. First, they gave themselves to the Lord. Then, they gave themselves to the church so as to be used by the will of God. You see, before anything in your life or my life can become worthwhile or can be acceptable to God, first, first, we must be given to Jesus Christ in saving faith. That's what Paul meant. What Jesus said, what is the profit of man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? What will you give in exchange for your soul? That's what Paul meant when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, 3, If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, if I deliver my body to be burned ultimate sacrifice, ultimate giving, but I don't have love, he says, it profits me what? Not a thing. Nothing. 
You've wasted your time, he says, giving and sacrificing like you've done. First, we must give ourselves to the Lord our God. Because an unbeliever's soul has not been offered to the Lord God, they cannot make any other sacrifice that is acceptable to Him. They cannot present their bodies to God as a living sacrifice because they have not presented themselves to God to receive the spiritual life in the first place. How do I know that? Throughout Scripture it teaches us that. But I will take you to the very first and, and the best example. It was in the garden. It was when when Adam and Eve fell from the garden and then they had their two sons, Cain and Abel. And you know the story. Cain and Abel brought an offering to the Lord God at a certain place, a certain time. They were, they were told what to do. They knew they were to bring the blood of an animal. But Cain, because he grew the fruit of the ground, he wanted to offer to God what he grew. A very noble thing. There's nothing wrong with that but he wanted it to be used in the place of the blood of an animal. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 5, for Cain's offering, God had no regard. In other words, God could not accept it for what Cain wanted it to be done, for the forgiveness of his sin. It doesn't work that way, Cain. I have no regard for what you're offering me. You can't give him everything you have and expect expect him to accept it without first coming to him with a spiritual life that entrusts yourself to God. Key to your life, key to my life, is to, is to marry yourself to the Lord your God with such a passion that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are in love with him and him only. Cain couldn't offer to God this spiritual sacrifice of of his fruit of the ground because Cain and everyone else received then this forgiveness of sin through the blood of an animal. That's the way it was done in the Old Testament. Today in the New Testament we receive spiritual life through the blood of this baby that's born in a manger, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. The one we celebrate in a couple of weeks. The one that we have been now taught we have received everything from Him. Now we are to give back to Him. Let me finish with this thought for Christmas. Back in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, when Paul says, I urge you, I beg of you, I'm begging you, by the mercies of God, I want you to note the words mercies of God. You note the word mercies is plural which tells us very clearly that God has an abundant supply of mercy. And mercy carries the idea of compassion and tenderness of God. Book of Lamentations, now I won't even ask you to try to find that. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 22 says, The Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases. His loving kindness to you never ceases. Lamentations 3.22 and His compassion and His, really, His mercies, they never fail. His loving kindness never ceases and His compassion or mercy never fails. And perhaps two of the most important, precious mercies of God is His love for you and me and His grace upon our lives. We are told over and over again through this, the book of Romans, 
that in Christ we are the beloved of God. If we were to turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 39, and read that verse, we would see that neither height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we also have come to Christ for salvation. We receive grace. And in Romans chapter 5, Paul taught us in verses 20 and 21, the law came in that transgression might increase, but where sin increased, grace abounds all the more. As sin reigned in death, even so grace will reign through the righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because of God's mercies, you and I have been given grace and love. That should motivate you and me. I want to close with this thought. should motivate you and me to serve the Lord our God. In what capacity? I don't know. You just need to get started. Find some place. The most compelling motivation for faithful, obedient service, which is, by the way, your and my spiritual service of worship, it is what we are supposed to do. It is what we are supposed to be like as believers. It should be, it should come through an unceasing gratitude of the marvelous mercies that God Almighty has faithfully given to you. Given to you. You see, it is the season, the life to be giving. Our Lord has already proven that. Next week, we're going to continue the celebration of Christmas, this giving of ourselves. Next week, we're going to give our bodies. Today, it was our soul. Next week, it's our bodies. We should give our bodies a living and holy sacrifice to God because of all that He has given to us. So I wrote with bold letters, Merry Christmas to you guys. I pray that this Christmas will be one of the best you've ever experienced. Not so much by what you get, but by what you give. Giving unto the Lord. I pray that you'll enjoy celebrating the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray that you will experience the joy of giving and serving the Lord. Father in heaven. Father in heaven. Who am I that I would even be able to come to you? And say, Father in heaven. Man, it's almost too big right now for me to comprehend. Man, I so don't feel worthy. But I want to pray on behalf of the people here in this room whom I love. Father, you gave me this love. You gave me the love for these people. So I come on their behalf. Asking that you will bless us this Christmas season. May we appreciate our families. May we appreciate our loved ones. And may we understand fully the whole idea of giving. That we would present our bodies to you. A living 
and a holy sacrifice. After all, Father, you tell us it is our spiritual service of worship. It is what we ought to be doing. And so, Lord, I pray your blessings upon us. Bless this church, Father God, only because we believe with all of our hearts we represent you in a very clear fashion. We believe that we proclaim your words. And so, Father, we ask your blessings. Thank you for everybody here, Father, in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.